Welcome back to our series called Help Feel So, dot, 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 as we look at the different emotions and feelings that, that can consume us. As I mentioned at the beginning of the, the service, and as I've mentioned at the beginning of every message in, the, in this series, feelings aren't a, a bad thing. Emotions aren't a bad thing. God's created us as emotional creatures. Uh, God himself has emotions. As we read scripture, we see God has emotions. Emotions aren't bad. It's when we get consumed by our emotions and our behaviors are driven by our emotions when emotions become bad. And so what we're doing in this series is we're noticing, naming, and navigating through the emotions that we face, and then we're looking to the promises of God that draw us in and bring our hearts peace. Today, we're looking at help, I feel so ashamed. And so here's how I want to start. And I'm going to be honest right away. The way we're starting, you're not going to like. But please play along. <laughs> I want you to think for a moment about a thought about something you said or something you did that you are completely embarrassed about. And it can be from the past. It doesn't have to be from this morning, though it could be. Take a moment and think about it, and if you're brave enough, you can even write it down on your worship folder. Now here's the next part you're not going to like. I'm taking volunteers who want to stand up and tell us your embarrassing thought, word, or action. Nobody? I'm not surprised. <laughs> uh, I don't feel exactly comfortable standing up here telling you mine either, so uh, I didn't anticipate anyone to stand up. But this is why we're talking about shame today. Why is it we are so ashamed to announce to others the embarrassing things that we've done? We're going to look at that. We are going to look at should we even feel shame? And then we're going to look at the cure to shame. As we look at shame in the Bible, uh, two groups of people, well, two people really stand out to me. First, Adam and Eve. We looked at that in Genesis chapter 3. We see that they, they ate from the fruit that God told them not to. And what happened? Immediately they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed. There was something wrong. They could be seen completely, and it was shameful. And so they sewed fig leaves together to try to hide their nakedness because they were ashamed. And then they also hid from God because they were ashamed. I also think of Peter. Around 33 AD, Jesus, on the night before he died, he was up in the upper room of a house with his disciples. And he instituted the Lord's Supper. He announced to them that one of them would betray him, talking about Judas. But then he also said to all of the disciples sitting around the table, I'm telling you, tonight, all of you are going to leave me. All of you are going to abandon me. You're going to leave my side. And Peter, who's so bold and so confident in himself, stood up and said to Jesus, Jesus, even if all these other guys leave you, not me. I will never leave you. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, I'm telling you, 
before the rooster crows three times to, or before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny knowing me three times. Now, we've got to give credit to Peter a little bit here because what happens? They leave the upper room. They go into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays. And the Roman soldiers and and all the chief priests and the teachers of the law come out to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane because Judas betrayed him. And what do we hear Peter does? He takes out his sword. He's ready to fight. And he chops off the ear of a man. Which, either Peter's a pretty good shot or he needs to take uh, some lessons on how to carry a sword and use a sword because if he was aiming for the head of that guy, he missed. (laughs) If he was aiming for the ear, he was dead on, which would be weird if he was aiming just for the ear, though. (laughs) But then, what happens? Jesus gets arrested, and all of the disciples desert Jesus, except Peter follows at a distance. Brave Peter, not willing to desert Jesus yet. That's where we pick up. Luke chapter 22, here's what we're told. Then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else, saw, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You talk about an absolutely gut-wrenching moment. Uh, Peter gets done denying Jesus, denying knowing Jesus for the third time, and he hears that rooster crow, and what does it remind him of? Oh no, the words Jesus told me. Before the rooster crows, I'm going to deny him three times. And if that wasn't bad enough, he looks up and who's staring out of the house of the high priest? But Jesus. Probably with black and blue eyes, his cheek puffy from being punched, chained, maybe with a droplet or two of blood streaking down his face mixed with spit that they spit on him. You talk about a moment that fills you with absolute shame. And what does Peter do? Does he stay there? No, he can't stand to be in the the presence of Jesus anymore. Does he go back to the disciples where all the disciples have gathered? No, where does he go? He goes out and weeps bitterly by himself. This week I I read a lot about guilt and shame. And they're similar but but different. Guilt is, is a verdict. You broke the law, you're guilty. It's not necessarily a feeling. But you broke the law, you're guilty. Shame then says, because you broke the law, you're a bad person. Because you broke the law, you're no good, 
you don't belong anymore, run and hide in the darkness. That's shame. And it's your first point today. Shame says, I don't belong, you don't belong. And that's what we see with Peter. He runs out and he weeps bitterly by himself because he's so ashamed. He was so confident, so bold. I will never leave you, Jesus. I will never deny you. And then he does it just like Jesus says. And Jesus saw the whole thing. Ashamed. Think back to what you thought about at the beginning here. That thing you said, you did, or you thought that you don't want people to know. Why don't you want people to know it? Why do you feel shame about it? Because if people only knew, if people knew what you said, if people knew what you did, if people knew what you said behind closed doors, you wouldn't belong. At least that's what shame tells you. Shame tells you that if people do find out You can't come back. And maybe that's why some of you are watching online and not here in person. Maybe some of you have done something, said something. Maybe some of you, you let your thoughts out and people here know what you did and now you're too ashamed to come back because shame is telling you you don't belong. If that's what you are experiencing, you're experiencing shame. And it's easy for us to come here on Sunday morning to put the mask on and look like everything is together, but deep down we know what is shame telling us. Don't let them know. Don't let them find out. They can't know what I've done, otherwise I don't belong. And if they do find out, I need to run and hide. Do you know a perfect illustration of this? from the great Disney movie, Frozen. It's one of the greatest Disney movies ever because of the theological themes that are running throughout the whole Disney movie, along with the cultural overtones that we can just look and we can dissect the whole entire movie. Uh, If you want to do it sometime with me, let's sit down together. I'll watch it with you. It's fantastic. Uh, There's just so much that we could break down. But we see that shame right from the beginning of the movie as we were introduced to little Elsa, right? What does little Elsa realize that she can do and her parents find out? She can do magic. She can shoot ice from her hands. She can cause a whole room to, to have snow in it. She can do this magic. And what does her parents say? Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Why? Because if they know... You're going to be excluded. If, you, if they know, you'll be exiled. And so Elsa's whole life is concealed. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Concealed. Don't feel. Don't let them know. One wrong move and everyone will know. Then it comes time for Coronation Day for Queen Elsa. And what happens? One wrong move. And everybody knew. And where does she go? She runs up the mountain, isolation, by herself, because I don't belong. And what does she say? I'm not going back. I'm not going back because of the shame, because it's better to be here than there. They won't accept me. And you hear that, 
and you look at Peter, and what do we want to say to them? I think we want to say, it's okay. We understand. It's okay. We've all been there. Uh, maybe not for Elsa. We don't shoot ice from our hands. But to Peter, we understand. We, we know what it's like to fail. We know what it's like to, be a, to feel shame. But it's okay. You don't have to feel it. But should Peter have felt shame? Yes. He absolutely should have. Why? Sin is shameful. The reason we feel shame isn't because the church has constructed shame and guilt to control people. Shame has been there ever since the beginning when Adam and Eve fell into sin. Think about it. What did Adam and Eve do to feel shame? They ate a piece of fruit. And yet it was against God's will. You compare that to what Peter did, which was deny knowing Christ, and it seems like Adam and Eve shouldn't be feeling shame at all. But that's what sin does. Sin makes us feel shame because sin lets us know something's not right. We don't belong. And it's true. Sin disqualifies us from God's family where we don't belong. And that's why we don't, want, let, want, we don't want people to know what we've done. And so how do we deal with it? Well, we can say things like, don't feel that. We can say things like, it doesn't matter. We can say things like, it's okay, we've all done it. And you know who tried that? The Israelites. Around 580 B.C., the Jewish people uh, tried to say, it doesn't matter. It's okay. It's no big deal about sin. And so God sent the prophet Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah chapter 6, here's what God said through him. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No. They have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them says the Lord. Do you know what the detestable con conduct was? I think we hear it and, and, and we probably think, well, it's probably classic Israelites. They're into some kind of idolatry or sexual immorality that they're uh, part of uh, again. But if you read a few verses earlier, do you know what God is charging them with? Greed. Greed. And he says they're not ashamed. They're not ashamed of their greed, despite it being a sin. You see, the, the cure for shame is not to just say, hey, our sin's no big deal. We can just overlook it. No, no, no. The cure to shame is actually what Peter does. Godly sorrow and repentance. Godly sorrow and turn. To who? Jesus. Jesus. That's what we see in John chapter 21. It, after Jesus rises from the dead, he, he dies, he rises from the dead. And, and you get this tension in John chapter 21. As you're reading it, it you get this tension with Peter. He, he, approaches, 
he wants to be part of Jesus' group. He wants to be near Jesus, but you can read from the pages of Scripture the tension of, of Peter's really not sure. Jesus, am I still part of the group? Jesus, do you still have use for me? In John chapter 21, Jesus has breakfast with his disciples on the beach, and after they get done having breakfast, he takes Peter for a walk, and as they're walking, Jesus says to Peter three times, he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And all three times, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Was Jesus testing Peter? I don't think so. I think what Jesus was doing was, you deny knowing me three times. Three times I'm going to let you hear yourself say out loud how you love me. And three times I'm going to tell you, I have use for you, Peter. I want you in my family. You belong, and I still have work for you to do. You belong to our group. You see, the, the only cure for shame is forgiveness. And the only cure for ultimate shame is ultimate forgiveness through our Savior Jesus. Shame is a good thing when it's temporary shame, where we use it to have godly sorrow like Peter did, and then repentance and turn to our Savior Jesus for forgiveness and reassurance that our sins are forgiven. And how does that happen? It's your last point today. Jesus endured our shame so that we belong. Sin is shameful. Sin says something is wrong with me and something is wrong with me. It's sin. And Jesus came to take the shame of our sin to the cross. Let's consider a few verses as we close up. Hebrews chapter 12. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about that verse for a second. For the joy set before him endured the cross. Jesus is the God of this world. He, has, he created all things. He spoke things into existence. Everything is his. What is the joy set before him that he didn't have, that he didn't already have? You. Why didn't he have you? Because your sin excluded you from the family of God. But Jesus looked from his throne in heaven and said, I want them. And for the joy of having them as my own, Jesus said, I'm leaving my throne in heaven. And he came down to this earth where he experienced shame. He experienced rejection, he experienced betrayal, and he experienced the cross. And as Hebrews 12 says, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Do you know who died on, a, who died on crosses in the Roman Empire? The worst of the worst criminals. The God of this world died a death reserved for the worst of the worst criminals. And if that wasn't shameful enough, it was even more shameful. And the Romans knew how to add shame and insult to injury because they didn't just crucify him with his little loincloth. No, they crucified their prisoners naked. The God of this world, on a cross, completely exposed, enduring the shame of the cross. And yet that isn't even the full story. That would be enough in and of itself. But from the cross, what did Jesus cry out? 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God kicked Jesus out of the family, so to speak. Expelled Jesus. Exiled Jesus and said, you don't belong. Why? Not because of his sin, but because of ours. Think back to that shameful thing, word, or deed that you had written down on your paper or thought of at the beginning of the, of the message here. Jesus died for that. Jesus took responsibility for the shame that that sin brings you. He took responsibility for it and all of your sins and all of the sins of the entire world. And God said, you're excluded. Why? So that you could be included. So that God says your sins are forgiven. You are part of my family. And Jesus endured it all for you. He endured our shame so that we could belong. So that God the Father now views you like this. Hebrews chapter 11. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We all have that one family member that, uh, well, every family has that family member that we kind of just don't talk about when we're talking about our family. Because, well, they're kind of embarrassing. Look what they've done. We don't necessarily want to bring them up unless if you bring them up. God doesn't have that in his family. God doesn't have that when, when he looks at you. God doesn't have that with any of his family members because through Jesus, all of our sins have been forgiven. We are holy and brought into the family of God and we've been made holy through Jesus. And so God looks at us and he doesn't, he's not ashamed to be called your God. He looks at you and rejoices over you with singing. He looks at the angels and says, hey, let me tell you about Stephen Aft. Because through Jesus, he's been made perfect. And that's true for you. The shameful sins that you've committed have been forgiven and God rejoices over you with singing. He's proud to be your God. He's not ashamed to be called your God. But what about Jesus? The one who's endured it all for you. How does he feel about you? Is he bitter? Not at all. Here's what we're told. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Your Savior Jesus isn't bitter towards you at all. In fact, he's not ashamed to be called your brother. He's not ashamed to call you his brother, his sister. He loves that you are part of his family all through him. The cure for shame is not to ignore it. The cure to shame is to bring it to your Savior Jesus who covers it by the blood that he shed on the cross so that you have made, been made holy because the one who makes people holy and the one who is holy are from the same family. So he's not ashamed to call you his brother and sister because he's made you holy. As we close up here, what does this mean for us today? A couple of things. Number one, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're, you're, you're not sure about the Bible thing, you're listening online, if you're experiencing shame, try bringing it to Jesus. Try bringing it to Jesus and giving it to Him and giving it to Him and then receiving His love and forgiveness because it's only through Jesus that you will experience peace knowing that your shame is forgiven. 
that your sin is forgiven and shame is removed. If you're a Christian here and you're part of Divine Savior or if you're a regular attending here, what does this mean? It doesn't matter who walks through that door. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what they've said. It doesn't matter anything that they've done. They belong here. Because if you and I are honest, we also have shameful things from our past that have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Everyone here has things from their past, and every one of us here need the same exact thing. It's Jesus Christ, our Savior, and it's through Him that all of us have been made perfect. And so no matter who comes through that door, we welcome them with open arms because they too need forgiveness just like we do. And then number three, for Christians, what does this all mean for us? We don't continue in the shameful sins that we've been committing. We reject and we renounce the shameful actions that we've done and we turn from them because of our Savior. If He willingly took our shame, willingly cast himself out of God's family so that we can be included. We want to renounce anything that would remove us from the family of God. And we want to live for him. We want to put our hope in him. And as scripture says, Romans chapter 10, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. God be with us as we don't live in shame. But we use that shame to have godly sorrow, repentance, and turn to our Savior who's covered all of our shame so that we live in peace and joy and comfort. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise and thank you for welcoming us into your family. Uh, what love you must have for us that uh, you sent your one and only son Jesus to endure our shame, that you excluded him that we may be included. Uh, what love must fill your heart and what comfort that brings us today. We thank you, Jesus, for enduring the shame of the cross for us. We thank you for taking all of our sin, all of the shame that we feel, and you paid for it all at the cross uh, where you shed your blood. And your blood covers over a multitude of sins. And we know that. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to trust it, that we may have peace. Continue to bring your promises to our hearts. Uh, fill us with faith and trust in you, uh, that we may turn from our shameful actions and live for your glory, knowing that our sins are forgiven. We have been made perfect through the one who makes people perfect. We ask you to continue to be with us, bless us, and let this all be for your glory. Amen.